welcome to Two Pills Podcast. I am so excited to have Dr. Abby Leiden on the podcast today. So Dr. Leiden and I were actually connected by a mutual friend who I used to work with in Houston and who she now works with at Rosalind Franklin. So just a little bit about her bio. She grew up in Indiana, graduated from Purdue. She did a PGY-1 at Brigham and Women's in Boston. And then after finishing residency, she helped to launch pharmacy services in the emergency department. Back in 2010, she made her way back to the Midwest and joined the ED team at Northwestern Memorial, where she continues to practice as clinical faculty. She enjoys sharing her clinical experience with students at Rosalind Franklin, especially using active learning teaching strategies, and she serves there as an associate professor. When she's not chasing around her 18-month-old daughter and her four-year-old son around Chicago, she loves to travel, spend time with family, and debate with her husband whether or not their kids will be Purdue or Notre Dame fans. Go Boilers! Thank you. <laughs> All right. So, Abby, welcome. Um, and so just to get started, I wanted to see after reading that little bio, if you could just tell us about yourself and about your teaching style. Yeah. So um, thanks so much for having me on first. I'm just delighted to be here. and glad we have that a mutual acquaintance. Um, so I have been teaching uh, at the university for about six years, but teaching kind of in the clinical realm at the bedside uh, for much longer. Um, it's something I've always been passionate about. I think my overall teaching strategy uh, is kind of geared toward um, active learning. My approach kind of models, I don't know if you've ever heard the quote, it's from a, a Chinese philosopher. Um, it's tell me and I'll forget, show me and I'll remember, involve me and I'll understand. Mm -hmm. And I kind of have taken that to heart, not only um, kind of in experiential education when I'm teaching Appy students or residents, but I think also it's really important in the pre-Appy curriculum to get students involved in kind of an active learning process. Absolutely. So um, I completely agree. I think active learning is what we should all be striving to include in our teaching. So what types of active learning strategies do you like to use? I've done a, a couple things. Um, probably the the biggest one that I have employed in the last couple of years um, is incorporating a mannequin-based uh, patient simulation into a toxicology elective that I teach. Uh, I also teach in skills labs, so try to do kind of patient uh, cases, um, or active learning strategies that way. But really the simulation is probably the one that's the most u unique about uh, what I'm doing currently. That's great. So how do you incorporate it, a mannequin into toxicology? So um, it's kind of, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> so my toxicology elective is a 12-week elective, and week 11, um, we have the students prepare um, kind of look over the things that we've discussed throughout the quarter, um, and uh, they come to, uh, we have a great simulation lab here at Roslyn Franklin University, um, and we set up a mannequin in an amphitheater, and I break the students up into eight different groups, uh, and we do four different patient cases. Um, so they will, um, there's a, a group A of students and a group B of students for every case. Um, and group B is blinded to all that happens in the first part of the case. So hmm. the, the students come in, they assess the patient, they work on 
deciding what kind of labs to order. They assess vital signs. Um, they ask questions of the patient, the mannequin patient. We have <laughs> um, patient actors who speak for that mannequin. Oh, that's great. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we can um, go kind of go from there. And then the second group of students comes in. They receive handoff for communication from the first group of students, which I think is a really key point in this. Yeah. Um, why we want to keep them blinded kind of for the first part of the case. So they come in and then they decide on the treatment approach. Um, it's basically a safe learning environment to make mistakes. And um, it's nice that it happens at school before they go out and they're treating patients. So yeah, we have a lot of fun with it. I think that's great. And I really, I think you hit on such a key point because I think when you think about simulation, you think, okay, the students are going to see this mannequin or, you know, whatever it is, and then they're going to maybe talk to each other as a team and then maybe write it up. But I really like that idea of that warm handoff because I think they are going to be doing a lot of that in their rotations and in their career. And so really being able to focus on that type of communication, whether they're using SBAR or whatever as their professional communication, I think that's such a great way for them to use it because they have to communicate to each other. Yeah. I love that um, they're doing it at kind of a younger point in their career than I can remember doing it when I was in school. So it's really fun to, to have done that. And they're all, always, I'm, every year I'm kind of learning things from them and just get a lot of kind of um, joys of faculty member watching mm-hmm. them lead like the room where I can just kind of stand back and see how things go. Um, and they've done really great with it. That's really great. Are there any, um, just thinking about talks, because this is a tough topic, so are there any subjects that tend to be harder or easier for the students, like any cases that are harder or easier for them to figure out? Yes, I think um, with treating tox patients, um, one of the, the aspects that brings in a little bit of complexity is when there's multi-drug overdoses. Oh, so yeah. And the patient has ingested X drug, you give Y antidote, and it's quite clear. But when there's co-ingestions and how the drugs work in different ways, um, it's harder to expect exactly what's a, what is going to happen to the patient. Um, uh, maybe harder to predict kind of the patient that could uh, take a turn for the worse really quickly mm-hmm. um, versus just kind of a straight up single ingestion. So I think that adds a little complexity for the students. That's great. And then you said you guys have a really great simulation lab. Um, what other courses use the simulation lab? Do a lot of them use it at Rosalind Franklin? Yeah. Um, so there, there are a couple really um, cool points that our students have to work in the simulation lab. One happens in their second year of pharmacy school where they have um, kind of an organized uh, activity in the simulation lab at the end of the quarter. Uh, And they are um, approached with different patient cases. It's simulated like an acute care simulation. So whether that be dealing with a pulmonary embolism, um, acute coronary syndrome, so the students are exposed to that before they actually take my tox elective. So it's kind of nice they come mm. into my tox elective having already had that experience. And then in the fourth year of pharmacy school, our students come back and do an interprofessional simulation with mm. other students at Rosalind Franklin. So we have PA students, medical students, nurses, um, and then pharmacy students where they're all working together in that simulation lab, um, again, in a safe learning environment, but also doing interprofessional learning, Mm -hmm. which is so, I mean, incredibly important, I think, in the healthcare field right now. 
Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And then going back to something you said a few minutes ago, you said that you have learned a lot from the students who have participated. So can you think of something that stands out that a student has taught you or multiple students have taught you? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I've learned from the students is just the importance of having fun in teaching. Um, And it's something that I've learned over reflection kind of over the years and um, where there's a good classroom environment to me is one that has positive energy, where there's kind of a mutual atmosphere of respect, uh, definitely a strong work ethic. So it doesn't mean like a relaxed learning environment. But I think if the students, the students can see if the teacher's genuinely engaged and and excited and passionate about that and then they can pick up on it and then allowing them to do things like the simulation um really uh kind of makes it a fun environment and i think a little bit better for learning absolutely and so i know that you have talked a little bit about simulation and other active learning strategies i think it's always good to talk about what's working and then also maybe to talk about what's not working so is there anything that you have tried that's worked really well and then also is there anything you've tried that maybe didn't go so well yes so i think the the active learning strategies um have worked really well when I reflect on how else so I get good feedback about the simulation mm-hmm. um, in toxicology so I've kind of tried to consider where else could I put the simulation another simulation maybe building that within the tox course um, and there's certain places I think earlier on in the, in the corner they just wouldn't be ready for that type of activity so choosing the targeted active learning technique um, at the right point and where there are kind of the learning curve is important. Um, so I think putting a simulation earlier probably wouldn't make a ton of sense for, for them in this elective. Mm-hmm. Um, so choosing the right strategy at the right time, I think is important. Um, and then I think I'd also like to involve a little bit more interprofessional work within the tax elective as well. So sometime uh, getting medical students and PA students maybe to be able to take the class uh, and work with our pharmacy students, that could be something that would be uh, beneficial as well. Yeah, it does. No, that's great. I agree. So kind of figuring out where they are in their curriculum and the timing of when to put something in. And I think that's something that can be hard when you're first starting out, especially because I feel like if you're starting at a new school, if you're just starting in general as faculty, you're just trying to figure out how to put your own lecture together, let alone what the students have had prior to you and everything else. So, Yeah, I, and to kind of go um, uh, on with what, what, with what you're saying is if you're looking at – if I look back as how, what I knew as a new faculty member – I kind of took the track where a lot of pharmacy practice faculty throughout the country do, where they practice clinically, they do residency, practice clinically, and then kind of over the years recognize that they're passionate about teaching and move in as clinical faculty. Um, But what happens, and I found this when I started my position, is I didn't know a ton about just teaching and learning. 
teaching strategies, mm-hmm. having not had a PhD or gotten a PhD and had time to TA a class or observe mm-hmm. another professor doing that, I didn't know a lot about teaching and learning. And teaching and learning is more than just showing up to the classroom and knowing what you're talking about. Absolutely. Um, and so I think that that's something that I could have benefited from. And I think a lot of junior faculty probably could benefit from a little bit more of that. I completely agree. Do you, so if I can ask, how did you, how do you feel like you developed that? Was it mentoring? Was it books, podcast resources? How did you develop that sense of teaching and learning? Because I completely agree with you. We were so clinically focused. And though a lot of residencies do teaching certificates, that really only goes so far. Um, even the best ones only go so far. So how did you develop those skills? I would say my primary resource was the faculty that I worked with. Mm -hmm. And so matching up junior faculty with more senior faculty um, to make suggestions, whether that be with how your course is designed, how to write exam questions. So I think mentoring um, within the department is really important. And then I think that that isn't something that just goes away after a year and it needs to be kind of cultivated and refined over the years. So I still continue to um, ask for feedback about my courses from other faculty members to come sit in my course, um, make suggestions, and, uh, and I feel like I've learned a lot through that mentoring process. That's great. I completely agree. I think having a great mentor, whether it's an assigned mentor or just senior faculty who you work with is so important for, for those, that development, um, as a junior faculty member. So you were talking about how you're still, you know, trying to keep improving and evolving your courses. So who inspires you or where do you get your best ideas? Well, um, I would say, uh, when I started here at the university, I started at the same time with two of my two office mates. So clinical faculty, I'm here at the university only about 30% of the time. So I share an office with two other outstanding clinical faculty members. And I think there's something about just us all coming in together and mm-hmm. there's um, kind of a collegial excitement that we have. We've all learned together over the years. Um, and so I get a lot of um motivation from seeing the different ways that that they teach versus how I teach. Um, We're all very three very different people with very different backgrounds, but there's so much to learn, whether that be, you know, through teaching, like using technology to to teach. Um, My other faculty member uses patient patient cases a lot um, in the way he teaches and uh, does kind of a little bit more of a flipped classroom. So Honestly, I get a lot of energy just from where I'm sitting at my desk. That's great. And it's great to have people around you that are willing to try new ideas and evolve their current ideas and not just do the same thing year to year. So I think that's really great. And then, um, so I'm just especially curious for myself, but then also just in general, what is your favorite part about your job? I know we were talking about how exciting I think emergency department medicine is in general, but whether it's your practice part or your other teaching parts of your job, what's your favorite part? My favorite part of teaching is whether I'm in the ER practicing and teaching students um, on rotation 
or if I'm in simulation or just kind of um, in a lecture hall is kind of stepping back and watching students get it, mm-hmm. whether they're leading other students or they're asking um, a really insightful question. Um, just watching my students kind of click where the light turns on and all of a sudden they're a leader, a, a main player um, at the patient bedside, for instance, which, which I get to see a lot. Um, I'm fortunate to see. So I think it's, um, I think it's that when I'm able to step back and observe them doing something pretty incredible, uh, that's the best part of my job. That's awesome. And then if someone listening wants to do what you do, uh, what advice do you have for them getting into a position like yours? Well, I would say um, I think that I've been able to do a lot in my career um, because when I was young in my career, I said yes to a lot of different (laughs) opportunities um, that I never kind of settled on the one thing that I wanted um, or I didn't settle on the one thing I wanted before I was able to see a broad kind of spectrum of what pharmacists do. Um, I will say eventually it it is a skill and an important thing to learn to say no. But I think that I got a lot of uh, where I am today I think is because I said yes to some kind of like different paths and um, found that those were the right paths for me. I agree. And I think that's a common theme that I've been hearing from uh, faculty members, especially clinical faculty, is I think when you start, in particular in the area of research or others, you just say yes to everything because you're excited and you want to get those opportunities and make those connections. And then, like you said, eventually it, it kind of becomes a lot and you've got to set some boundaries on that time. But absolutely, I think I think that's great. And then what would you say is your overall prescription for success in this job, life, happiness, all that good stuff? I would say um, finding something that you love to do, um, saying yes to opportunities when you can, but knowing when to say no. And a lot of that uh, becomes about maintaining a good work-life balance, um, asking for help or assistance when you need it, advice. I think all of those things have um, really helped me, not just in my career, but also my personal life. Um, and I guess that's that would be my prescription, as you said. <laughs> I like it. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Two Pills. And thank you to Dr. Leiden for joining us. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure to be here.